chapter twenty of gossip in the first decade of victoria's reign by john ashton this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter twenty gretna green parsons number of marriages chinese indemnity thames tunnel the serial machine treasure trove accidents to mr brunel arkwright's will secession in the scotch church the gent shakespeare's autograph at this time gretna green marriages were in full blast they were only made unlawful in eighteen fifty six and we learn from the carlisle journal copied into the times of twenty february something about the parsons we observe by announcement in some of the london papers that some worthy gentlemen in london are about to enlighten the public on the subject of gretna green marriages by the publication of a book called the gretna green memoirs by robert elliott with an introduction and appendix by the rev caleb brown in addition to this information we have been honoured with a copy of what mr elliot calls a circular which he is desirous we should publish as a paragraph for the benefit of our readers from this circular we learn that this interesting work contains an accurate account of remarkable elopements pursuits anecdotes etc never before published then we are further informed that there is in the press to be published by subscription the gretna green register containing the names of seven thousand seven hundred and forty four persons married by robert elliot the gretna green parson it is added that the whole is being carefully printed from original registers written and kept by himself the gretna green parson we suspect has fallen into dishonest hands or he would not have suffered it to be said that he was about to publish registers which never had existence the gretna green parson is pretty well known in this neighbourhood he married a granddaughter of old joe paisley the original blacksmith and after the death of that worthy parson he set up an opposition shop in the marriage line to david lang who had acquired some notoriety in the business this was in eighteen eleven and he continued to uh, trade until eighteen twenty two when it either fell away from him or he from it his reverence subsequently condescended to act as horsekeeper or hostler at one of the inns in this city and a few months ago was sent for to london as a witness in some marriage case and is now set up as an author we suspect the whole thing is an attempt to gull the public into the purchase of a book of inventions if seven thousand were deducted from the names of those to be inserted in the register the number would still exceed by many a score those who were actually married as it is called by robert elliot the gretna green parson the poor parson could not stand this attack on his veracity and wrote a letter to the times which appeared in its issue of twenty three february in which he does not deny the bulk of the paragraph taken from the carlisle journal but gives his figures as to his matrimonial business he says that in the following years he married so many couples readers note here follows a chart of figures from eighteen eleven through eighteen thirty nine end note he says he married seven thousand seven hundred and forty four persons but either his arithmetic according to the above account is faulty or there is an inaccuracy in the times figures on three march arrived in london the first instalment of the chinese indemnity one million pounds all in silver 
i remember seeing the dock wagons guarded by soldiers and wondering until told what they contained some more arrived on the seventh the thames tunnel was opened to the public on twenty five march with as much ceremony as a private company could manage there were the lord mayor the directors and a host of scientific persons who solemnly went in procession down the staircase on the rotterite side passed along the western archway of the tunnel ascended and descended the staircase at wapping and returned through the eastern archway in the evening there was a grand dinner at the london tavern where prosperity to the thames tunnel was drunk in some wine which had been preserved from the commencement of the enterprise to celebrate its completion as with motor-cars so with aeronautics the time of which i write was well in advance we know of signor santos dumont's performances with his motor balloon in connection with the eiffel tower but mr samuel henson was before him in applying mechanical power in aeronautics he took out a patent number nine thousand four hundred and seventy eight dated twenty nine september eighteen forty two for apparatus and machinery for conveying letters goods and passengers from place to place through the air it was an aeroplane the car which contained passengers engineers engines etc was suspended in the centre of a framework which combined strength with lightness covered with a light but close woven fabric it was started by descending an inclined plane the impetus from which caused it to rise in the air when the steam-engine was put in action to continue its motion the area of the sustaining surface was some four thousand five hundred square feet and the weight to be borne by it including the carriage etc was estimated at three thousand pounds which was claimed to be considerably less per square foot than that of many birds in april eighteen forty three but on what exact date i do not know an experimental voyage was made from the hill of dumbuck near glasgow by professor Gilles. he successfully negotiated the descent of the inclined plane and rapidly rose in the air until he reached an altitude of nearly three miles feeling giddy he determined to descend to a mile and a half above the earth this i easily effected by depressing the tail of the machine which up to this moment i had kept at an angle with a horizon of nine and three-quarter degrees to that of forty-five my course i had not varied since leaving the hill it was per compass southwest and by west half-west passing over ayrshire and in a direct line from dumbuck to ailsa craig whither indeed i was tending with the view of landing the latter being admirably suited for launching the machine in a similar way to that adopted at dumbuck on my return home again daylight had now broken and the scene was most gorgeous i passed many ships and in particular one steamer but whose paltry speed in comparison with mine was nothing alas however this is not destined to last for just as i had shot ahead of the steamer something went wrong with the machinery and the fanners stopped this did not at all alarm me for as described by mr henson these fanners are only necessary for propulsion and not at all requisite for maintaining the machine in the air unfortunately however i perfectly forgot in the hurry of the moment to remove the weights from the safety valve and the effects from this were disastrous in the extreme 
The great accumulation of steam that took place was too much for the pipes, and consequently, bang went three of them at the same instant. The machine, at this exact moment, feeling its equilibrium altered, surged considerably, and the remaining pipes necessarily followed the example of the others. Fizz, biz, whiz, away they went, one after the other, like pop-guns. Unfortunately, one of these pipes, in flying off, struck a bamboo stretcher, and shattered it so, that the machine, losing balance on one side, toppled over and became perfectly unmanageable. She, in fact, whirled over and over in a way that may be imagined, but which is altogether impossible to describe. I, of course, was now descending with fearful rapidity, and nothing was left me to contemplate but death and destruction. I can only compare my sensations at this moment to those experienced in a nightmare, which, everyone knows, are not the most agreeable in the world. Sensibility now forsook me, and, indeed, this was not to be wondered at, in consequence of the whirling of the machine. On coming to my senses again, I found myself in bed, with severe headache, nausea, and vomiting, the usual accompaniments of such a flight through the air. But thanks to Providence, I am now in a fair way of recovery, and willing to perform the same feat again. Luckily for the aeronaut, the accident was seen by the master of a steamer, who sent a boat to his assistance, but the machine was lost. We often hear of treasure trove, but seldom find the owner. However, here is a case. On 11 April, the magistrate at Clerkenwell Police Court had a man named Benjamin Thomas and five other laborers brought before him under the following circumstances. It seems they had been recently engaged in grubbing up the roots of some trees in Tufnell Park, Holloway, when they found, buried in the earth, two jars full of sovereigns, supposed to have amounted to four hundred pounds. They divided the money between them, but it was claimed by Mr. Henry Tufnell as lord of the manor, and all of them consented to give up what they had, except Thomas, who said that his share was fifty-one pounds, but that he had spent or lost it. The sum recovered only amounted to two hundred and thirty-one pounds seventeen shillings. Thomas was remanded for a few days, but in the interval a new claimant appeared in the person of Mr. Joseph Frost, of the firm of J. and J. Frost, brass founders in Clerkenwell. It appeared that some time in August last year, in a temporary fit of mental delusion, he had carried the money out at night and buried it. Mr. Tufnell waived his claim in favour of Mr. Frost, and Thomas was committed for trial, on the charge of feloniously appropriating the money to his own use. A very curious accident happened to Brunel, the eminent engineer. He was playing with the child of a friend, pretending to swallow a half-sovereign and bring it out of his ear when it slipped and stuck in his trachea, whence it could not be dislodged. This must have been in the latter part of April, for it is mentioned in the times of 28 April as having occurred some short time previously. All efforts of the surgeons could not reach the coin, even though they constructed a machine which suspended him by the heels when he was shaken and thumped. On 27 April, Sir B. Brodie performed tracheotomy on the unfortunate gentleman, but without avail so they waited until he had somewhat recovered, and again hung him up by his heels. This was on 13 May, and after a few gentle thumps, the half-sovereign quitted its place, and dropped out of his mouth, 
without causing him any pain or inconvenience in these days millionaires and multi-millionaires are exceedingly common but not so in the time of which i write and much astonishment was created at the sum of money which mr richard arkwright son of sir richard the inventor of the spinning jenny left behind him his will was proved on twenty four may in canterbury prerogative court and his personal property was sworn to exceed one million pounds the stamp duty on the probate of which was fifteen thousand pounds which was the highest duty then payable when the testator's personal estate was one million pounds or upwards in this case the deceased left behind him a fortune of nearly three million pounds the eighteenth of may is memorable in the presbyterian church of scotland for the great succession of its members and the foundation of the free church this was the day appointed for the opening of the general assembly and dr welsh the moderator of the former assembly took the chair as soon as business commenced he read a protest from those who were dissatisfied with the then state of the church it was a very long document and having read it the doctor and those who were of the same opinion quietly left the hall forming a procession and marching four abreast to a hall in cannon mills where they elected dr chalmers as their moderator a contemporary account of this movement is given in the observer of twenty nine may the number of clergymen who have seceded from the church of scotland is now four hundred and fifty and it cannot be a question that by the middle of the week the number will be close on five hundred this is nearly the half of the entire clergy the number being under twelve hundred among the leaders will be found the name of almost every minister distinguished for talent moral worth or weight of character nearly the whole of the people have left the establishment with their ministers so that the free presbyterian church instituted by those who have left the establishment may be considered the church of scotland the general impression in scotland is that the residuary church cannot long exist about two hundred and forty thousand pounds have been raised in less than ten weeks for the erection of new churches and for the support of the seceding clergy and there can be no question that in a few weeks the amount will considerably exceed three hundred thousand pounds among the contributors are the marchioness of brendeldane a thousand pounds a colonel in the army whose name we do not remember six thousand pounds in three yearly instalments of two thousand pounds mr henry paul a private gentleman two thousand pounds mr nisbet bookseller london one thousand pounds a dissenter five hundred pounds and there are various other subscriptions of two thousand and one thousand pounds each mr fox mall is to build and endow a church at his own expense mr a campbell member for argyleshire is to do the same in elgin the pious and spirited inhabitants have raised a thousand pounds to build a church for the rev alexander top a young and popular minister and they will also liberally contribute to his support so that in many instances churches will be built and ministers be provided for solely by private munificence and local exertion without requiring any aid from the general fund the general assembly of the establishment is now sitting in edinburgh but its proceedings excite little interest 
the general assembly of the free church which the people recognize as the church of scotland is also sitting in edinburgh and its proceedings excite an intensity of interest hitherto unparalleled in the ecclesiastical history of scotland about this time there arose an objectionable class of men who tried to ape the gentleman but could not and they went by the generic term of gents punch was death upon them and i give one of the satirist onslaughts as it reproduces the costumes and amusements of the day first let us see the gent pictorially and then afterwards read what manner of animal he was an act for amending the public deportment of certain individuals called gents abiding in london and other places whereas it having been represented that there are at present existing in the metropolis as well as in the provincial districts certain individuals known and spoken of as gents whose bearing and manners are perfectly at variance with the characters which from a monomania they appear desirous of assuming and whereas in consequence of cheap clothes imitative dispositions and intellectual poverty this class is greatly on the increase it has been thought necessary that this act should be framed to control their vicious habits may it therefore please your majesty that it be enacted and be it enacted henceforth that all gents not actually in the employ of the morning post or mr simpson of the albion be prevented from wearing white cravats at parties the same being evidently an attempt of sixth-rate individuals to ape the manners of first-class circles and that no gent who does not actually keep a horse and is not in the army be allowed to strut up and down the burlington arcade with a whip and mustachios such imposition being exceedingly offensive and amounting to a passive swindling of the spectators and be it enacted that all such things as light blue stocks large figured shawls cheap primrose gloves white chesterfield coal sacks half-guinea albert boots in fact all these articles ticketed in the shop windows as gents last style be considered the distinctive marks of the class and condemned accordingly and that every individual moreover smoking outside an omnibus sticking large pins in his cravat wearing fierce studs in his shirt walking with others four abreast in regent street reading slang publications and adopting their language playing billiards in public rooms and sporting dingy white gloves in the slips of the theatres frequenting night taverns and being on terms of familiarity with the singers and waiters thinking great things of champagne as if everything at a party depended upon it and especially wearing the hat on one side be the signs of most unmitigated gents and shunned equally with hydrophobia and be it further enacted that no gent be in future allowed to cross a hired horse with a view to ten shillings worth of sunday display in the parks the turnout being always detected nor shall be permitted to drive a gig in a fierce scarf under similar circumstances nor shall any gent imagine that an acquaintance with all the questionable resorts of london is knowing life or that trousers of large check pattern are anything but exceeding gentish 
saving always that the gents have not the sense to endeavour bettering their condition which is exceedingly probable under which circumstances they had better remain as they are in ignorance of their melancholy position but on the other hand it is commanded that people of common intellect henceforth cease to designate any of their male friends as gents the word being one of exceedingly bad style and equally objectionable with genteel which is possibly derived from it and that if after this any one speaks of a gent or party he knows it is ordered that such speaker be immediately set down as one of the unfortunate class in question the shakespeare autograph which was sold on twenty four may eighteen forty one came again into the market and was bought on nineteen may for hundred and forty five pounds by the corporation of the city of london the patres conscripti of the common council were not of one mind as to the eligibility of the purchase on the motion that the court agree to the report and that the chamberlain be instructed to pay the sum mr warden rose to move as an amendment that the report should lie upon the table a laugh and loud cries of hear hear he had he said done all he could in the committee to prevail upon the members that the purchase of the autograph was a most wasteful and prodigal expenditure hear hear and no no the precedent was a most mischievous one if the court sanctioned such a proceeding as that which the report had described by and by the autographs of archbishops and bishops and other individuals who had in times long past distinguished themselves would supply apologies for wasting the city cash in order to gratify gentlemen who were afflicted with the description of mania laughter he hoped the court would not catch the infection but seconded his rational effort to check it by condemning the report to its proper station on the table after all the document was doubtful but there was no doubt at all as to the profligacy of the expenditure laughter and cries of hear hear and no no mr knott said it was quite ridiculous to think for a moment of voting a hundred and forty five pounds for a few doubtful illegible almost obliterated scratches of a pen laughter and cries of hear hear he defied any man on earth to say what those scratches represented on a division there were for the motion forty one for the amendment thirty one End of chapter twenty